Welcome everyone to Parenting from the Inside with Anna and Joel. This is episode three. How are you doing, Anna? Yeah, I'm good. Excited to be here. How yeah, are you? I'm good. I'm we just I'm just appreciating your lovely lighting in your office. <laughs> Should we say who we are? We can say who we are. Yeah, for any any new listeners or people who've forgotten. Yeah. I'm Anna and I'm a Danish IFS trained family therapist. And I'm a mother of two kids, 11 and 9 now, and I live in Denmark with my husband. How about you? My name's Joel. I'm uh, married to a lovely Italian lady, and we have a we have a child, we have a daughter who's uh, almost three, and I am an IFS trained coach working with men, run men's groups and the like, and yeah, excited to be here and, and talk a bit about parenting. We got a big, important topic today. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about New Danish Parenting. Mm. And it's the first of three episodes because there's a lot to be said about it. And I created three principles and we're going to get into the first one today. But before we get into it, we should talk about some disclaimers. Yeah. So we're not representing any institutes, not IFS and not anything else that we're trained from. And we're not a substitute for therapy or going to the doctor or anything like that. And we invite you just to take what you can use from this, leave the rest. Yeah, that's the most important, that we don't have the truth about anything, about mm. you and your family, but we're here to give you our version of the truth and you can take what you want. And you're welcome to write us or send us a voice message if you have any thoughts or opinions about you're yep. welcome. Beautiful. The new Danish parenting. It's a term that I put together and it's based on Danish parenting or what we call the, the new child view in Denmark. Some people might know Family Lab, especially in Europe, which is created by Jesper Juhl, who's a Danish family therapist. And Blackbird Institute, where I have my family therapist education from, teaches a lot of this. So the new child view is based on a new paradigm of parenting. It's based on equality and integrity and being authentic and accountability and more stuff that we're going to get into. It's a new paradigm of parenting. It's a new way of being in the world. And when I put it together as new Danish parenting, it's coupled with attachment in a much bigger way than it already is as a new child view. Because attachment is, like we talked about in our last episode, is like the fundament for understanding ourselves and the fundament of how we develop in the world. The relationship to our caregivers is so important. So it's a really big part of this. And it's also coupled with IFS, which we talked about in the first episode, because this is a way of understanding ourselves on the inside, understanding our parts, and it's a way of understanding our children that goes together because it's not just about how do we want to raise our kids. It's about who are we and why is it difficult. Yeah. Because there's millions of books and millions of experts telling you how to raise your children. That's only a small part of it because there's so many reasons why it's difficult. Yeah. Right? There's so many good reasons why it's difficult. And we're going to get more into that too. Yeah. And just maybe get a bit of context. Like, because I had heard of Danish parenting as a term and I'm Googling this and, and there's quite a lot out there on Danish parenting. And the, re the reason is, of course, is that all the statistics saying that Danish parents are the best and Danish children are the happiest in the world and <laughs> all these things. And the, the, what's really exciting for me, having explored this with you now, is what the new in new Danish parenting signifies and and it's exactly what you're saying like it's not just saying this is the model you need to follow and if you can't follow it there's something wrong with you it's saying this is this is a model to follow and here's how you can actually here's what here's some things that can actually help you change and evolve to do it rather than just leaving you on your own with it and that's where ifs and attachment etc make this 
feel to me quite transformational because you're actually giving people the tools to help them practice the model. Yeah. It feels exciting to share this. I'm glad you think so. I do. It makes me think about how we approach IFS and coaching, like the two things. It's like the kind of bottom up, top down. So to me, there's this, there's this way of looking at parenting that it's inviting us to, which we're going to talk about today, which in some, in the coaching context is like, where are we trying to head? What are we trying to create in the world? What's the direction we're moving towards? So it gives us a sense of clarity. And then the therapeutic bit of the IFS is the bottom up saying, actually, what are the things getting in the way, making it hard to realize that ambition? And that's what New Danish Parenting is, is doing to me. It's saying, here's a direction and here's, here's how we can help you unblock the things that make it hard for you to walk down that path. And that's, that's yeah. why it feels pretty holistic to me and, and important yeah it is important to to say that this is about like all the stuff that we're going to talk about today it's like just like when you learn like if you're a therapist listening to this if you learn the ifs model it's about learning it to mm. unlearn it again to just have it in your background because parenting is not about doing mm. right it's about being but understanding ourselves in this way and understanding our children in this way is mm. going to help us be with them in a different way where we don't have to try to shape them or fix them, yeah. but actually be with them as they are and, and as we are in the moment. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's like the the metaphor of the, yeah, rather than our child is like a piece of clay that we mold, it's more like the idea that our child is like an acorn. An acorn's going to become an acorn tree. And all we got to do is try and get the things out of the way that stop it seeing the light, you know? And actually it's it, it knows what it needs to become. We don't need to mold it. Exactly. Mm. And that's part of the new paradigm. Yeah. A lot of us who, well, it depends where you grew up in the world too, but a lot of us who are parents now grew up in a lot of the old paradigm of parenting mm. and we're trying to do the new thing, right? A lot of us, at least that's how it is in Denmark, we know a lot of the new stuff. Of course, we want to treat our children as equals, for instance, right? Mm. But we keep falling back to the other thing because that's what we learned. That's what we grew up in. A little bit about the difference, just like yeah, yeah, this could take up a whole episode. It is really short. Like, so one thing is equality, that we're equal. As an adult, you have power over your children, right? But abusing that power, being in charge because you're the biggest and using that in a negative way, trying to shape them in a way through fear is kind of the old paradigm yeah. uh, because you're not equal in power, you're not equal in worth. Yeah. And that's kind of the opposite in the new paradigm that no, we're not equal in power and we're not equal in experience, but we are equal in worth. Yeah. So even though I'm going to decide over you, or even though I know more than you and I'm here to take care of you, then it doesn't mean that you're worth less than I am. And a lot of us learn that in, in many ways in our own childhood, that we're less than. Yeah. I think it's worth saying, like, it's important not to get stuck on these words. Like if, if one of these words that we share here doesn't quite land, or maybe it triggers something to hold it lightly. And we invite you to find a word that does suit because we know there's all sorts of structural inequalities that mean we're not, we're not all born equal, but it's that point, that sense of yeah. equal in worth, equal in dignity, you know, between a child and an adult. That's the core premise we're going with here. And the next thing is being authentic. Mm. So in the old paradigm, parenting is a role. Just like being a doctor, being a pedagogue, being a teacher, it's all a role. So it's like a flat character that you don't really know your parent. Right? Lots of us, we don't really know our parents. It's just mom and dad. We don't really know all the stuff in between that their friends probably know, right? So it's not very personal. And as a parent, there's this feeling of you have to be in a specific way because now you're a parent. So I can't really be myself. Mm. And in the, in the new paradigm, it's about being you. 
with your child. And that doesn't just mean sharing everything that's not appropriate for a child, but actually being yourself from the inside, which is a lot safer. It's something that your child can actually lean into and actually get to know you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's, it's what we, what we've been talking about around IFS around uh, getting to a place where we can welcome all our parts. We're allowing ourselves to be whole. It doesn't mean not having care for what's appropriate for our child, but it's saying, you know, there is, there is all sorts of wisdom in all our parts, you know, that there are safe ways to share. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's personal leadership. So in the old paradigm is about, this is a hard word to say in English, <laughs> authoritarian. Can you say it? You did it. No, you got it. One is above the other people, right? Mm. And it's more fear-based. So you have to kind of fall in line. Yeah. Listen to me because I say so. It doesn't matter the content of my words, but because I'm inherently more right. Yeah. So this is, again, this is about being personal and loving leader. It doesn't mean not being a leader, but being it from a loving place. It's like Gordon Neufeld talks about an attachment. You want the children to evolve around you. In a secure attachment, they're going to want to be good for you. Like they want to, they want to do to a large extent what you tell them to do. They want to do that because they want to be good for you when you're the, when you're the parent. Mm. But if it's from a fear-based place, then they're going to do as they're told because if not, then something that's going to be a consequence. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you're giving a sense there of the difference between the old paradigm of parenting that many of us grew up with and what, what new Danish parenting is based on that sense of equal worth being our whole selves, not just playing a role, like putting on our parent clothes and parenting from a place of like connection and love, not because I'm inherently more powerful and important than you. Mm. Yeah, And that's, that's yeah. the kind of premise under all of this. Yeah. And new Danish parenting has three principles. Mm. And the first one is about children and it's, I call it children always make sense. That's what we're going to talk about today. The next one is about the relationship and I call it relationships matter most. And the third one is about the parent, and then I call that conscious parenting. Mm. So today we're only going to get into, into the first one, but it's really important to know that this is not this cannot stand alone, because it's not just about our children. We split it into episodes so we can actually go more into it. Otherwise, we're going to rush through it. But like when we talk about the child, when we talk about setting boundaries, in the next episodes we're going to actually get into how to set loving boundaries, for mm. instance. Because it's not just about doing something with our kids, not just about understanding our kids, but understanding the relationship and ourselves in relationship to our children. Yeah, beautiful. So we got the we got the focus on, on the child, on the relationship and on the parent. And today we're focusing on the child. So new Danish parenting is kind of an embodiment of the new child view and bringing IFS and bringing attachment into it helps us really understand ourselves and understand our children and how we want to be together. Because even if you don't have children, maybe I should have said this in the beginning, mm. this is going to make sense for you in, even if you don't have children. And you're going to recognize some of this stuff from the episode on IFS because everything that goes for our children, it goes for our inner children. It goes for our parts as well. Yeah. And it's always, so it always goes inside and outside. And of course, our children have parts too. So what really makes this helpful both for ourselves is not just about parenting. It's about living our lives. It's about being ourselves. So both being in relationship to our partners, to our friends, to our children, and, and especially also on the inside. That's what this is about. Yeah. And just, just for people who, who aren't so schooled in IFS, that we, we're talking there about those part, those and you go back to episode one on this, those parts of us that may be really young, parts of us that are really young or were, were formed in, in childhood. And actually, 
everything we're saying here about the principles we bring to children in our external world, we can bring to our own child parts, like the sense of equal worth, equal dignity, their inherent value, etc. Yeah. So this is, yeah. as, as you say, you don't have to have children to get a lot from this. Yeah, exactly. And when we're raised in the old paradigm, when our parents have trauma, that's where this stuff happens. That's why we get the parts that have burdens, right? So this all applies to that. And I want to just say, because I really don't like it when people just say, you know, we keep saying IFS, but for people who didn't hear the first episode, I'd have no idea what it is. It's really annoying that people just say something like that. So IFS is internal family systems and it's a therapy form yeah. that we're both trained in. And we're just like yeah. assuming everybody knows what it is. Like, <laughs> so like sorry you, about that. It's like when you start a new job and there's like a hundred different acronyms <laughs> that they use. Yeah. And they're like, what does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> Better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> so today we're going to focus on the first principle of New Danish parenting. It's about the child. Children always make sense. So this is a lot about being curious, which is also in IFS is one of the main principles of being self-led, of being a parent to yourself or to other people from the inside. So the first part of that is children are born competent. So we're all born in integrity. All human beings are like on a continuum between integrity what I call integrity and cooperation. Gabba Mate talks about this and he calls integrity being authentic, being yourself from the inside. Mm. And he calls cooperation attachment. I don't call it that because it's confusing to the way we talk about attachment here, even though it, it makes sense as well to call it that. So integrity is being yourself, knowing yourself, feeling yourself from the inside and also showing that on the outside, showing what you feel, not not censoring yourself, not stopping yourself in a way. And the, the people who are experts on integrities, that's babies, right? Yeah. When we're born, we feel what we feel and we express it. We're not holding ourselves back because it's not appropriate right now, right? So everything we notice on the inside is naturally welcome. And we express it the way we can. Children are born very competent. When something is uncomfortable or uns unsafe, they're going to let the parent know, yeah. right? Yeah. They're going to show it in their face. They're going to show it in their body. If it's nobody's hearing it, they're going to start crying. Yeah. And they're not just going to stop, yeah. right? And the point you're making is like many of us as adults have, have overridden that for good reasons, yeah. for good reasons, perhaps. But, you know, I'm uncomfortable. Something's wrong. I need something. And then the part comes in and says, oh, but I, can I really name that? Can I express my anger? Can I be difficult, quote unquote, whatever it is? And we censor or suppress or whatever. Yeah, as you say, children are the masters, babies are the masters of it. Yeah, so babies are really born competent. Mm. They're not born like clean sheets or something that we have to draw something on or shape, like you were saying before. Like as soon as a baby is born, and this counts for before a baby is born as well, but it's harder to see. But just when they're born, they're going to start searching for milk. They're going to look at the parent's face, right? They're already making contact with you. They're already expressing themselves and looking for what they need. That's very competent. Mm. I guess one thing that feels important to say on this is like the difference between principle and reality. So, so I can imagine there's people listening to this and going, of course, that, that makes complete sense. Be curious. Like my child's, my child's inherently born competent and wise. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, so it surprised me here. And, and for me, the kind of the thing with this is when you actually practice it in reality, it can be really, really hard because, you know, I think about like, you know, examples around like my daughter when she, you know, when, when she had went through really difficult sleep periods. And it's so much, it's so much easier to be like, to be like, 
oh, she's being difficult. Basically, there's some problem with her rather than there's anything I need to reflect on. And actually mm. her expressing herself in a certain way, if we take it as her being competent, then there's something that I need to be aware of. There's something maybe that we as parents are responsible or haven't got quite right. And, you know, I can think of a number of examples for us in the early, in our early days where she was sleeping really badly and she was trying to tell us that we had got something wrong. Like there's something, you know, there was a reason for it. So actually like if we, if one lives in this way of being curious and, and understanding that the child is born competent, then it can force us to reflect on our own parenting sometimes in a way that can be uncomfortable and to actually have to take responsibility rather than say, oh, the baby's just being a problem. So I think in reality, this is harder to do than it sounds. Yeah. And we're going to get more into this because it doesn't mean we always have to be able to see mm. how the child is competent, right? Yeah. So babies are, uh, they have needs and they kind of demand attention. They kind of demand being safe, being comfortable. Yeah. And they don't just wait around and stand in line for that to come. Human beings are born very immature compared to animals. Where, for instance, like a, a horse or a deer, they're just going to stand up right after they're born, right? And children, human babies are not able to do that. So they're very, very, very dependent on their parents, much more than animals, even though they're dependent in the beginning as well. So being met lovingly and feeling safe, being seen, being heard, being picked up when you're crying is about survival, right? Being loved by your parents, by your caregivers is about survival and not having needs met is like dying. Yeah. Or it, there's a knowing in our systems that goes beyond thinking anything like a survival knowing that if I'm not met in my needs, then I'm going to die, right? So that's what it feels like. And that's what many of us, especially people who have done some therapy and worked on the inside, they know that even though we can have some silly conflict about the dishes, but when I get down to it, the deeper layers inside of me that are reacting, they feel completely alone and where we often, they feel like I'm going to die. Yeah. So, and, and children are not, especially babies, like they don't have concepts of time, right? So really give them that attention. It's not going to spoil them. It's, they can't manipulate you. They, children have no concept of this. Mm. They're looking for what they need. So really allowing that. Even if your old paradigm doctor told you something else. Yeah. yeah and you, yeah. and we know that, like we all rule ourselves when we don't listen to our children, right? Yeah. That's really, that's really profound that you can't spoil a child. And we've come back to this a couple of times. If one comes from the perspective that they're competent and wise, then we can meet them in their needing what, what they need. Whereas if mm -hmm. we come at it from the perspective of we need to impose ourselves and our way of thinking and, and if our paradigm is so I don't want to spoil my child then we won't necessarily pick them up in that moment exactly so this is this yeah. is a really really hard one to hit especially a lot of a lot of guys like we can't hear that message that we can't spoil our child yeah it's like I don't know if we if we said that in the last episode about attachment but again Gordon Newfeld who's an expert in attachment he says children cannot be too attached but they can be too insecurely attached mm. So if they keep looking for more and more and more, then it's not about them manipulating. It's not about them getting too much. It's not about them being spoiled. It's about them actually needing some more safety. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that has come up for us recently is, is how our daughter inherently go. Sometimes she's, she's looking for softness. You know? mm. So if one of us may be triggered, for example, or frustrated or struggling, you know, in that moment with the parent that's triggered, she'll go, I want the other one. <laughs> you know, if dad's triggered, she'll go, mama. And that can be really hard for my system. 
And actually, she, but she knows she's needing, she's seeking that connection or, or whatever. And it's okay. It's yeah. okay for my wife to step in and say, okay, I'll be there. You know, I don't have to take offense to that. <laughs> yeah. That's very competent of your daughter. Yeah. So children are born competent in their integrity and children are also born social. So being a social creature means needing connection, going for connection, reaching out, right? So the, the relationship between parent and child is not the parent creating that relationship. Like you were saying, the, the child is not a piece of clay that we want to form. It's not an object that we want to do something to. Parents are responsible for the relationship. We're going to get into that in later episodes, but it's a mutual relationship. It's a child reaching out to child. Even the babies, they make facial expression and you make a, an expression back. It goes back and forth and it changes both of our systems, both of our brains, not just the brain of the child. So being a social creature also means that we adapt. Mm. So if mom is not mirroring back my smile, then I don't get to know my smile. If dad meets my sadness with anger, then I shut down my sadness or I show anger instead. That can sound like a bad thing, right? It's not good to, of course, to not get to know your own smile. But adapting is a really good thing. It increases our chances of survival in the environment that we grow up in. Yeah. And our chances of being loved or feeling loved. So we learn to be part of a group. Right? Because yeah. we're group creatures and we learn to wait our turn. We learn to share. We learn how to play together in this group, how we can be, how we can help each other. And in an optimal environment, this will become a healthy balance between integrity and cooperation. Mm. So it's about being ourselves together. Yeah. So integri integrity for what's real for me and where, where my parts are, what my truth is, quote unquote, and cooperating with what's around me and where to give ground and understand other people. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the really important things that we can learn in healthy families is how to be ourselves together. Mm. That's one of the things that's really important to take out in, into the world. So it's not me against other people who don't feel exactly the same way as me. Right. Yeah. Question for you. Like, do you think that integrity, like we have to learn that integrity first, right? That ability to live with integrity. That's what we're saying. Like by children being born social, they learn from us to some extent how and whether it's safe to actually be in integrity. Would you say that has to come first before they can live in a world of cooperation or is it, is it both together? I mean, children are born in integrity, so they already have that. And then they start shutting it down if they have to. Yeah. Right. If it's a healthy cooperation, they don't shut it so much down. They can still feel themselves from the inside, but in, in a way where they can learn to wait in line, for instance, right? Yeah. So they can learn that, that it's not always me first and we're ourselves together and there's still room for me. So that would be the healthy balance. But of course, no environment is perfect. I guess, I guess what I'm saying or just reflecting on is like just in these small ways, the examples that we're giving, like how easy it is for children because they are social to like adapt themselves out of integrity. Mm. Um, so, you know, the example of, you know, if I think about my daughter, when I, when she's like sad, frustrated, angry, you know, I've got a part that really wants to minimize that. And not really listen, like, no, it's okay, stop crying, you know, yeah. whatever, distract. And that leads to, that often lead to more frustration. If I meet that then with my own anger or minimizing, belittling her stuff, then at some point she'll learn to shut it down. Whereas, whereas I see it, I see it now. When I, when I actually acknowledge her frustration, like, oh, wow, you're, I can see, it's like you're really feeling frustrated about that, that thing that happened. You know, she'll, she can literally stop and go, yeah, 
like it's like she almost sees she's actually experienced being being heard and acknowledged and it will she calms in a moment so it's like literally that's these micro examples that i feel happens many times a day or a week as a parent where either we're helping our child to experience what it is it's like to feel safe being in integrity or where they have to learn to be something else exactly and this is all the stuff that was a good example of what we're gonna get into and how to actually do that mm. and this is also an example of when we talked about trauma in the first episode that trauma mm. is not just those big horrible events that happen to some people but not being met not being seen being told that we're wrong like so many days and all these micro examples every day for years that shuts us down right yeah Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when people think, oh, I don't have any trauma. I had a good childhood. All these things happen that we just grew up in. We don't realize it, right? Yeah. And as you as you're saying, like, why is this stuff difficult for us as parents? If I say for me as a parent, like, hang on, if if my child being frustrated or or angry, if there's a wisdom in that, if she's competent and social, then the part of me that feels I need to like take that away, stop her expressing those things. Maybe that's more to do with me than it is mm. to do with her. And then maybe, so maybe I have to actually engage with my own parts, my own experience of anger or frustration or sadness. So that's why really, really taking these things on board about our children or our, our babies can be so challenging as parents, because it, again, it, I would say for me, at least it forces me to reflect on um, what I'm bringing to this relationship. This is why this is so important because we can easily think, oh, I have to shape my child for them to fit into the world, mm -hmm. to be in the right way. So I have to be in this. I have to do this as a parent, right? And we don't. We don't have to do this because our children are competent. Yeah. And then we can actually have the gift of looking inside and being able to say, hey, why am I reacting this way? What parts of me come up right mm -hmm. now? in relation to my child, which is often about our own childhood because we were shaped. We were not allowed to be ourselves yeah. and we can really heal those places. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't safe for me to be angry or, or upset. So I'm going to make it hard for her to express those emotions because that doesn't feel safe. Yeah. They're not allowed. And sometimes they can just like, it can just snap like that. We don't even realize that that we're shutting down anger or that we're shutting down crying. We have no idea why it's happening. Yeah. Sometimes we don't have any memories of why, why we weren't allowed or how we weren't allowed. Yeah. Yeah. And this yeah. is like so many of us struggle so much to allow our partner to be upset or angry or our child to be upset or angry. You know, a lot, we just mm -hmm. say, I want them to be, ha I want her to be happy. I want her to be happy. Yeah. And that's my justification for making it hard for her to stay in that place of anger or upset. And so much of that yeah. is because you just have to go to a playground and look at how parents are with boys often. Yeah. It's not actually okay for a boy to say, oh, that really hurt. I'm sad or I'm upset or yeah. I'm in pain. They say, oh, get up, get on with it. Yeah. And then we pass it on. Yeah. So there's a healthy, balanced way between integrity and cooperation. Mm. And then we already got a little bit into this. Now it's about over-cooperation. Yeah. Because no childhood is perfect. No parent is perfect. We're not supposed to be perfect either. But when there's not space to be themselves for our children, they learn to over-cooperate, which means cooperating away from themselves, away from their integrity, mm. shutting down. So a child might feel sadness on the inside, but if sadness is not allowed to be expressed, if it's not safe, then the child is going to show something else on the outside. So maybe they're going to smile, 
Mm-hmm. Even though they're not happy, are they going to show anger instead? Are they going to show numbness? Are they going to like feel numb? There could be also like a child that doesn't want to be touched or hugged, mm-hmm. but they learn that it's not okay to say no to touch. It, they have to override it because grandmother wants a kid, so they have yeah. to hug their relatives or oh. yeah, or look the adult in the eye when they're talking to them. This kind of stuff that overrides so many boundaries, but they're not allowed to have them. So they they learn to do it anyway, or they learn to shut it down. So they actually don't even feel their boundary. Yeah. So they, they don't know when they have a, I have so many parents in therapy. They oh. cannot feel their own boundary, the yes and the no, yeah. until the very strong rage comes, right? When the boundaries are already overruled. And of course, if you don't feel your own boundary, it's really hard to feel other people's boundaries and to accept other people saying no to you. Mm. And it can also, this is a bit the same if, if a child is, this is very old parody. I remember this from my own childhood. If I'm not hungry anymore, I don't like the food, then I still have to eat everything off of my plate. Yeah. Right. There's so many physical boundaries here that's being overstepped. And then a lot of us, I know I have this, that I, I don't really know if I'm full or not. I'm just going to keep eating it until oh, yeah. everything is done. I nap on that one. Yeah. 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 And, and again, that's, that's why doing this in practice, you know, there are children making sense. Like that's why this is really hard to do in practice yeah. because, because as you say, when a child says, nope, don't want to eat anymore, it's much easier to say, oh, they're being difficult or they don't know what's good for them. I know what's good for them. So, I, you know, and that part of me that, that has been taught that it's rude or inappropriate not to finish our food. Like we don't actually engage with that. Yeah. It's it's so yeah. hard to actually look inside at us rather than just uh, presume that our child is wrong. Yeah. There's a good rule here that you can use if you want to. I don't know if we're supposed to talk about this in other episodes, but I'm just going to say it. If you wouldn't say it to an adult, don't say it to a child. Yeah. So you wouldn't say it to other people, hey, you have to finish your plate. Like I would never say that to you, Joel. You feel full, but you have to finish your, you have to eat your potatoes. Yeah, that would be an interesting one, wouldn't it? Yeah. Or telling them to put on more clothes outside because you feel cold. (laughs) So children are born competent and social and children always make sense. It's always a good intention. People recognize this if they know IFS. The parts always have a good intention. They always make sense, even if the outcome is not helpful. Yeah. This is this goes for our children too. They always make sense and they always have a good intention. So there's always a, a deeper meaning behind what they're doing. So so knowing that our children are on this continuum between integrity and cooperation and over cooperation, just being curious, just knowing that there's a deeper meaning, there's a good intention in the behavior and the feelings and reaction and in even in, in physical symptoms. Mm. That it's not just something wrong that has to go away. Yeah, I mean, with it, like a with a like a kind of spiritual lens on, you know, some people would talk about in my child being made in the image of God. This is kind of a manifestation of that. Like, okay, so then, so then maybe I can see my, I can follow that through as saying my child may does have a good intention. I can't see it, but <laughs> they are reflecting wisdom, meaning, in, something important here. Yeah. Hmm. And we don't always have to figure it out. We don't always have to know what the good intention is or what the deeper means. Sometimes it's important to know to be able to help our children, but often just knowing that it's there yeah. is going to help us react from a different place, from a more self-led place from the inside. Yeah. And a curious place. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what the answer is, but I can be curious because I know there's good intention here somewhere. And that's really going to help our children to, to understand themselves better. Because for instance, if a child is hitting their siblings, then they're actually doing the best they can. 
Mm. in that situation. So meeting them in that is important and it helps translate how they actually feel. Yeah. So they don't necessarily have to hit the next time, right? Yeah. Because by being curious in that moment, we can offer some language maybe of what, what's actually going on or, or mirroring the feeling they're expressing. And that can really help them understand what's happening for them. Yeah. Yeah. So some examples of children making sense could be a child like a, I'm going to do those air quotes <laughs> for throwing a tantrum <laughs> oh, yeah. in the supermarket, for instance. I'm sure everybody, I don't know if everybody tried that. I definitely tried that or seen other people that may be having lots of opinions about those parents or that child throwing a tantrum in the supermarket. Yeah. But just imagine a child throwing a tantrum because they can't get the candy that they want. So then you could see this, this child is manipulating and spoiled and blah, blah, blah. Or you could see this, a child is clearly overwhelmed here. Maybe they've been in kindergarten a whole day and then they have to go shopping too. And the parent probably had a long day of work and is tired and is preoccupied with things that they have to buy and then they have to cook later and all the things they have to do. And maybe sometimes they haven't been setting clear boundaries. Sometimes they do let the child get candy in the supermarket, right? To make them stop crying, to make them not have a tantrum. So there's not like, in this situation, there's, there's not really a lot of contact between mom. There's not really a lot of connectedness between the parent and the child. And there's not clear boundaries. So this will make the child feel even more overwhelmed because there's nothing to lean into here. And there's no, there's no regulation from the parent. So in, in this situation, crying in the supermarket, throwing yourself on the floor is the best thing the child can do. It's the best solution unconscious of course for the child it's not like they thought about all this stuff i just said mm. but they're doing the best they can in that in that moment mm. so we don't want to scold them for that we want to help them regulate mm. right and the parent is doing the best they can which at that moment yeah. is not helpful because there's no connection with the best they can so we don't want to scold the parent either when we see other parents like that that's not helpful right oh it's such a big one such it's so it's so challenging isn't it this because like we and in that moment when our child when our child kicks off like I'm just aware of myself the parts that care so much what everyone else thinks that really don't want the judgment don't know if this is the same for everyone but for me is I know other men who feel the same thing you have this sense of I'm not being strong I'm not in control of my child I ought to be able to discipline them so so therefore I need to I'm being seen as weak you know in some way because I'm allowing this to happen you know mm. and just anything, I think what we're saying is like anything that can help us give us enough space between that instinct and our reaction to go, hang on, if there is good intention in this, what might it be? Can it? Can I just use that knowingness? Then the fact I know there's good intention here, she may not, it may not be a helpful way of expressing it, but she's doing the best she can. Maybe mm. I can create a little bit of space to have some patience and compassion for her and myself and just yeah. us to reach out rather than reacting to those initial feelings I have, which just want to shut it down, assert myself. Yeah. yeah. And will actually yeah. almost certainly just make it worse. Yeah, especially when we're out with other people, like in the supermarket or social gatherings or anything like that. Most of us have so many parts yeah. having thoughts or feelings about what do other people think. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. It matters you and your child, that connection, that's what matters. So really working on that as well. Yeah. It's really important. And it makes sense because it's part of survival and it's part of over-cooperating. What do other people think about me? 
Yeah, and, and it's also in that moment, right, having compassion for our own parts that feel overwhelmed and, and stretched, being able to be with them and then we're more able to be with our child. Another ex example could be the child of divorced parents, where maybe dad has a new wife who's a bit more strict, and this child is really behaving well in the dad's place, but when he's with his mom, there's so much anger, there's so much frustration, there's so much stuff coming out. So then it would be very easy to say, hey, there's something, mom is doing something wrong here, right? Because he's reacting so much there, but not at dad's. But very often this means the child feels safer, the space for me at mom's house. So this is a safer relationship right now. So this is where all this frustration can come out about parents building up, new wife, I'm not allowed to be myself there, stuff in school, whatever else can be coming up. That with mom, there's actually enough space for that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So that's very smart of the child too. And it doesn't mean the mom is doing something wrong. It means she's safe. Yeah. And you're showing there as well, like how if we trust our child's good intention, then it can also help us have more compassion for our partner. I know in me, the partner might want to judge my wife when my daughter overreacts, say, oh, it's because my wife did that or she's whatever. Mm -hmm. And actually, maybe it's just because my daughter felt safer with her or more able to be in integrity with my wife in that moment, because actually I haven't been so present, you know, which is often a dynamic or can be for us. So this can play out in the compassion we can have for our partners, not just our kids. The last example I wrote is Chad laughing at their parents when they're being scolded or told what to do. This is really like, that's so frustrating. It's so annoying. And it's often going to make the parent even more angry, right? It's very triggering. <laughs> yeah. But this is a coping mechanism. This is a shutting off. It's like putting on a mask mm. that your child is, is using. And again, it's not conscious that it, for the child to do this. But this is really a way of protecting themselves. And then it often leads to more scolding. So it's not helpful, but it shuts off. So the scolding or the anger or whatever it is, it doesn't get in in the same way. Yeah. It's very smart. It's very smart. And if you see it happening with your partner, then, you know, if you see the, the child reacting in that way with your partner, then maybe there's a chance to step in and help your partner. You know, if you yeah. see him or her about getting triggered by that, by that response from your child, you can just step in and help or, or remind him or her that actually, yeah, this doesn't feel helpful, but our child's just actually trying to do the best she can here. Yeah, and this is, um, we're going to have episodes about relationships yeah. and parenting together, but really how do we help each other yeah. talk about these things? Because often we can also, I know parents can feel like our child is setting us against each other and we, like, we can very easily feel criticized yeah. by our partners, right? So yeah. really how can we have these conversations in a yeah, good way? Good yeah, how can we feel like we're, 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 we're a team on this together? Yeah, yeah. we're definitely going to come yeah. to that. Yeah. And all, all this stuff we don't agree on, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. get into that <laughs> next time. We're getting all excited here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. That was the big first point. We spent quite a lot of time on that, but like message one, children are born competent, social, with good intention. They always make sense. And if we take that yeah. to heart, that can have quite a profound impact on how we relate to our child in moments of... <laughs> challenge and tension and difficulty you know it can really help mm. us have more space for them and be curious the invitation from that first piece is to be curious and yeah. now we move to the, the second big point yeah which is going to help you how to be curious Ooh, it's like <laughs> land or something so the second part is children need to be translated so again as human beings we are all on a continuum between integrity and cooperation and over cooperation so in being human beings together 
and especially for the parent, for the adult who's responsible for the children, it's really, really important to be curious and to be able to look beyond or below the behavior and the symptoms. So the first part of this is difficult and extreme behavior, problematic behavior and symptoms can be seen as signal flags. So it's it's a signal that's trying to tell you something. So if we carry the belief that our children always make sense, we can stay more open, we can stay more curious about what's going on with them. And that's not the same as not having boundaries and not setting limits. We're going to talk more about that, especially in the next episodes. But like, if you know Richard Schwartz's book, No Bad Parts, there are no bad parts, there are no bad intentions. There's always a meaning and there's an explanation between things, but sometimes we cannot see it. And sometimes children show it in very different ways than just saying, I'm upset here. There's no space for me, right? So, for instance, hitting is the solution. is not the problem in itself. The symptom or the hitting, whatever the child is doing, is not the problem. It's the solution yeah. to the underlying problem. Yeah. So there's an explanation for it, even if we don't see it. And it makes sense. Yeah. Having done some work on this recently around my relationship with my brother, and discovering more about why I felt the need to hit him. <laughs> we were young. Yeah. yeah, totally. Absolutely, it's the solution. Sometimes, at least, what we can help our children do is to understand themselves better and to learn to cope in a different mm. way, right? So I don't have to say this by hitting. I don't have to say it by raging because mm. I can actually understand myself from the inside and be able to express it in a different way. Mm. And so this is our job. A lot of our job is to help translate these signal flags that our children bring up. So the signal flag is whatever is like sticking out, whatever is like the problematic behavior, the symptoms, whatever is like visible on top. Like you can imagine like a sinking ship. Mm. So the ship's sinking and they send out like a signal for help. Mm. You see the signal? You go out, you help them take the signal down, you reprimand them for putting the signal up there, and you shut that down, help them with that, and then you're done. Job is done, you can go back home. Mm. But of course, the ship is still sinking. Yeah. And you didn't see that at all. You only saw the signal flag and help remove that, help remove the mm. symptom. And that's the same for our children. So the signal flag with a sinking ship is very obvious, right? The ship is sinking, it, it needs help. And with our children, it's not always so obvious. But there's behavior, there's symptoms, there's language, reactions. So it's like hitting, yelling, it can be stomach aches, headaches, controlling everything, clinging or pushing away. It can be destruction, like ruin. Like my daughter, she throws things or they break when she's really upset. It can also be self-harm. A lot of teenagers, the resolve to self-harm. There's also a solution to a problem. Yeah. So these, so these solutions, these signal flags, they're telling us something about the underlying problem, the underlying pain. Yeah. Sometimes our children know what they are. Very often they don't. Yeah. So just to follow that through, how might a, a parent help them figure that out? How might a parent translate them in that? In that, if the if the child doesn't know what what the what the pain is, how might a parent do that? I can give an example of what I would have needed. So if I take the example of hitting of me and my brother. I think what's true now is that I was, there was a solution because it was the only way I could come up with for my pain to be witnessed. I've been teased, bullied, something mean is being said, and no one was acknowledging my suffering in that. No one was acknowledging my aloneness in that, and that sense that I, I wasn't being seen. And what I discovered was that hitting him back 
always got a reaction from my parents. That, so see, even though it would end up with me getting reprimanded, at least there was an acknowledgement that something had happened between us. Mm. And so though it didn't feel quite right, it was way better than whatever had been done to me, just being left in silence and no one seeing it and me having to sit with that truth that no, you know, no one seemed to care about my, my pain in that moment, like the teasing, whatever yeah. it was. So yeah. it was, was a, definitely got me what, what I needed at some level. Wasn't it, would, you know, wasn't a healthy way of doing it. Would have been much better. There have been much healthier ways of doing it. But in that moment, it made a lot of sense. I think it's really hard, but there's something there for parents to be curious about what it is. One can still say violence isn't the solution. And I'm curious about what's, what do you need? What, um, I'm wondering what I could have articulated then, but I could have articulated that I was really upset about what had been said or done to me and to be seen in that would have been very healing i think yeah and it's really important that that wasn't your responsibility yeah. that was your parents responsibility to set that environment for you to express it in a different way yeah like you shouldn't have been able to do anything else yeah and being seen in a negative way is better than to not be seen at all yeah Yeah, yeah. To be seen, to be seen to be a, a bit of a violent, the, the violent one or a bit of a, a physical bully was preferable to, to it just going unseen. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's sort of that, it's it, how do his parents like, give, as you say, permission for handling those moments in another way? When you feel the need to hit your brother, come and tell me. I want to understand. I, I want to, I want to hear what was happening. But not just saying it, because I hear lots of parents saying that, mm. and then they're putting the responsibility on the child. Yeah. So it's actually setting that environment. Our children knowing in a felt sense that when they come to us, they can lean into us. It's not going to be one time I can meet you, the other time I'm going to yell at you. Totally. And actually, actually following through and modeling it <laughs> and not saying not now or, or go away or oh, you're just whining or moaning or whatever, yeah. actually making yeah. it, as you say, allowing the child to lean into us. Yeah. Because yeah. often I hear parents say, well, if a child is hitting, for instance, so what can you do next time? How can you do it better next time? Right. Or even saying you next time you can come to me. Yeah. They have to feel that they don't have to just be told because then they're told, oh, you're wrong for hitting. Yeah. And you know, when I think about, when I think about coaching here, like one of the things we talk a lot about is values, you know, and mm -hmm. this is where something in, in parenting integrity matters. I think it's such an important value to hold on to, you know? So when we say something or we give permission for something to our child, it's like really following that through is so important because you say they will learn really quickly, whether we're serious or not, whether they can trust us or not to actually like backing up our words with with action, which means remembering it, staying present to it, or oh, it's hard to do. Yeah. And that's what matters. We really interact mostly with our children from our nervous system, right? It's, mm. it's system to system and body to body. Even if we don't even realize the parts of us that come off, that's what our children are interacting with yeah. much more than what we say. Yeah. Because yeah. our child can really feel, does my parent think I'm being a nuisance or that I'm being difficult? You know, that they're just, they're just saying they're listening to me so that I'll leave, I'll then leave it or drop it or shut up. Or do they really want to hear? Is it really, is it, are they really going to be with me in these feelings? Mm. Mm. How are you feeling sharing your example? 
I um, it's an important one because it, it's literally taken me. It's been years in terms of therapy, etc., to actually get to the place of understanding because my relationship with physical expressing my my anger or my my frustration a physical way, I've actually understood goes back a lot to that. Mm. And the sense of injustice and the sense of no other way to get seen. So, yeah. so I, I, sh I, sh I think it's important. You know, I, I, it's not to scare people, but for me, it's recognizing how not being seen in that moment has actually played out later, like throughout throughout my life. And now I'm and now I'm actually starting to get to grips with it. Yeah, it shows what what how important our role is as parents. We are the environment that our children grow up in. Yeah. So. Children always cooperate with their environment. That's part of a survival. And the environment is the attachment relationship to their caregivers. And even when it doesn't look like it, they're still somehow cooperating. They can do this in different ways. There's two opposite kind of ways of doing it. And one is by leaning more towards integrity, towards protecting themselves. So for instance, this can be like anger and rage to protect themselves. And this is towards fight response from a nervous system perspective. Or it can be by distancing themselves from the relationship, from the situation, which is more like a flight response. And the opposite way of doing this is by over-cooperating away from themselves. For instance, by being the nice kid, by being easy. And this is more like a foreign response. Yeah. Meeting my parents' needs, helping them with what they need. Yeah. And really figuring it out, really having threats into other people and knowing what everybody else feels, right? Lots of mothers, lots of women, especially, are very good at that. I'm sure it goes for men, too. And then the other one that's also towards over-cooperation, it could also be shutting off to how they feel. More of a freeze response, being invisible, not feeling yourself, not even knowing what you feel, and not taking up a lot of space. So that's also why it can be confusing sometimes, especially if a kid is being aggressive, that they're still cooperating with their environment. They're doing this in a very protective way, self-protective way. So behavior, words, symptoms have different meanings than just that signal flag. So for instance, saying I hate you or hitting or something else can mean there's no space for me here. I'm not being seen. That's what you were naming too, right? I'm being misunderstood. So there's a need for the child to be translated. So there's a need for being curious from the inside. One thing is from our thinking heads, but being curious from the inside means being open not necessarily having to understand, not necessarily having the whole translation, but being open and curious from the inside to what the child is trying to tell us about themselves, about the relationship, the situation, or their feelings. Yeah, yeah. And exactly, it might not mean knowing, having to figure it out, but just yeah, holding some curiosity in ourselves. It yeah. just gives a little more space. And of course, the underlying pain and the problem is very often not conscious to the child. So it's not about asking explicit questions to get the right answer for them or to try to figure it out and waiting until the child finally says, yes, this is what's wrong. It's about open-ended translating, which is like being curious in a way where we're not trying to define the child. We're not telling them the way it is or trying to get the exact right answer because there really are no right answers, right? But about the child feeling seen and about the child feeling understood. That's what matters. That's what it's all about. It's about being seen with loving eyes and being understood in a way that I make sense that I'm okay the way I am. Yeah. And the most important need is being seen. Mm, I feel I need to let that land in me, <laughs> other people, because that's the most important need is to be seen. 
And for many people, it's also the scariest thing. Because being seen with unkind eyes is shot down as shame. So it can be so scary to be seen. But it's also the most important thing to be seen with loving eyes. We didn't always get that. That's the healing we can give to our child. That's how we break the pattern. Yeah, and to our inner children as well. Yeah. Translating open-ended with curiosity is about the child feeling seen and accepted, seen with loving eyes. So it means I see your behavior, your reaction, your symptoms, and I wonder what's going on with you. I'm wondering about the underlying issue, about the underlying layer. Like that's where our children need to be seen. So there's primary and there's secondary focus. The primary being the most important and the first one to focus on. So seeing the upper layer and, and the underlying layer, and it's the underlying layer that's the primary. That's what our children need to be seen in. Not the signal flag, but the sinking ship. Yes. It's what's driving the signal flag. It's what's driving the, mm. the, the thing. And often we just focus on the quote-unquote yeah. difficult behavior. Yeah. So the important thing is not to react to the behavior, but to the underlying pain or problem. Then this is how our children feel seen. And the behavior is actually less important. And that's often what they get the reaction to, like don't hit, for instance, right? And of course, we can still set boundaries, but we can do that from a more equal and from a more self-led place, which we're going to get back to, I think that's in the next episode about setting personal boundaries. We're only going to get into that a little bit here, I think. So when we meet our children in the behavior, we often meet them from a place of shutting them down, from wanting to shut down the behavior. And when we do that, they don't just feel like they did something wrong. They feel like they are wrong. That's really important. It's not that I did something wrong, it's that I'm wrong at my core. Yeah, and that's where shame comes from. That's right. And we all carry, I mean, you and I working with, with people like this in therapy and coaching, everybody carries so much shame. Yeah. Right. Really helping our children and our inner children with this makes such a big difference. So when children behave in a way that we don't condone, that we don't think are good enough, saying, I see you with love, not saying this with words, but showing this, I see you with love, does not translate to the child that I love your behavior. It translates to I love you and nothing's going to, that's not going to be removed by you behaving in a way I don't like. So our meeting our children where they are, even when they do stuff we don't want them to do or that we don't think is appropriate or okay, does not mean that we say yes to the behavior. It means we say yes to the child. You are still okay. I still love you. That's so profound. I loving the child in those moments does not mean you're condoning the behavior. Wow. What a gift. Because children are born social, and cooperating with us, when they feel safe enough to be themselves, then they don't have to shut off. They have space to be themselves, and they're more happy to cooperate with the environment, with what we want them to do as well as parents, right? It's about feeling safe and feeling seen. So then the recap from this piece about children being translated is the children need to be translated. So it's mm -hmm. being curious about the difficult behavior and trying to focus on this primary layer of what's driving the behavior rather than the secondary thing about the behavior that we maybe don't like. So children are born competent, number one. Number two, children need to be translated. And number three is an extension of that. It's meet children where they are, not where you want them to go. So this is about moral and existence, about what is and what should be, or what we feel should be. 
when we parent through moral, we're parenting a lot through the old paradigm to a large degree, at least. So we focus on what should be. We focus on right and wrong and we judge behavior. And in this way, we very easily define our children and we punish unwanted behavior. So it's a bit like a judge in a criminal system. And our societies, our modern societies, are very much built up around the concept of moral and right and wrong. And it's part of the old paradigm of understanding people as bad and needing to be shaped to become good, yeah. often through fear or through punishment. From this perspective, it's our responsibility, or it's the responsibility of the justice system to keep criminals in a tight grip. And it's the responsibility of the parents to shape and to mold their children to become good citizens. Yeah. And you said it like at the heart of it is judgment. I need to judge you because other people will be judging you and they'll be judging me and we're all judging each other. And I have the right to judge other parents and their children as a result. So this moral view is based on all of us judging each other for whether something is good or bad, right or wrong. And it's very fear-based as well, right? Yeah. Because we also put criminals in prison so they stop doing that, right? Because they're being punished for it, not from a place of seeing them, from understanding the deep, deep shame that these people have that make their protective so strong that they do horrible things. We cannot punish that away. We can only make that much, much worse. And it's the same for our children. They're not little criminals, but we need to meet them where they are. Right, so there's space for them to be themselves, so they don't have to have all these protectors. Yeah, they don't have to shut off and not yeah. show how they actually feel and not feel how they actually feel. Yeah, and that means being with those parts of us that worry we're going to be condoning bad, all that stuff about condoning bad behavior, or you know, where our parents may judge us if we're seen to be overly generous to our child when they do something bad. Like we just have to have some compassion for those parts of us <laughs> and try and create some space to do this in a yeah. different way. Yeah, really, really get to know those parts of ourselves and really like both from listening to a podcast like this about what I, actually children need and about development. And uh, there's lots of good books and resources about the way we actually know what children need today, that they're not born like blind canvases or bad or something like that, that people used to think but that they make sense, that they're competent, that they're social, right? So we don't need to do those things. All this thing, we're going to get more into that too, about punishment, about scolding. All that stuff is not helpful. It's putting fear on our children. It's like holding them in to try to shape them instead of meeting them so they can actually grow and become themselves. So that's moral. And then there's existence, which is part of the new paradigm. So when we parent through the lens of existence, we're focusing on being with what is, and we're meeting our children where they are, and we're meeting them from ourselves, from a balanced place, from a self-led place inside of us, from where we are. So who are you right now, and who am I right now, and how can we meet each other here? This is what true relationship is. This is about connectedness, being human being and human being together, being two subjects together not one person doing something to the other person. It's like the difference between, if I think of examples that a number of dads who I work with would say, like when my child says, I'm sad, many of us will say, oh no, you don't need to be sad. Don't be happy because I'm judging sadness as an unhelpful one. 
unhealthy, unnecessary behavior because I have all sorts of stuff around sadness. It's the difference between that and saying, oh, that's hard. I find it, I find it hard. There's a part of me that struggles with the idea of you being sad because I, I find that rather difficult, but I'm, I'm welcome your sadness and I want to see you in that. Yeah. And I support you with that. Like it's such a different way of being with our child yeah. rather than judging sadness as a bad thing. So from the new parenting perspective, knowing about all this stuff we know today about children's development, about attachment, about human relationships, how we grow up in that, right? How that shapes us in a way. We know that children are competent and social and do the best they can. And we know that children want to be good for the people that they're attached to. So when things go wrong, when there's stuff that we don't want or don't like, then the most important thing is to focus on attachment and to focus on connection, not to focus on punishment and focus on separation. That's the existence and moral. We want to focus on connectedness and you and me here, not about punishing something so you're not going to behave the way you do. There's the paradigm so, shift right there. Yeah. So focusing on existence is the primary thing. That is meeting our children where they are. So this is the first step because the stuff we're saying here doesn't mean that you're not allowed to focus on moral at all because we want our children to fit into the society to fit into the family. But the most important thing is meeting them where they are. And then where we want them to go is secondary. And very often, both with our children and with our partners also, we skip the first step. We don't meet them where they are. We tell them where we want them to go. So like you were saying, when somebody is crying, we're going to say, don't cry. When somebody falls down, we say, get up again. Right. That's the secondary. So the most important thing is meeting them where they are. So it's really about just being present. With what is there, not having an agenda, but naming what is. And really remembering when we name what is there, we do that with curiosity. We're not defining the child. We're not saying what they're like. It's always open-ended or with a question mark at the end. So they can agree or disagree. And that's how they get to know themselves. They don't have to agree with everything that we say, but it helps them feel what feels right inside of them. Because we don't have that truth about our children. We only have our own truth. So it's, I see you, I hear you. And I'm right here. That's safe. Being seen, being seen in our vulnerability, being seen as we are, and still being loved. That's the most important. That's the opposite of shame. Uh, so people can reflect on this. Just, just imagine if your partner, when you express something difficult, your partner responded by saying something like, I see you, I hear you, and I'm right here. How loved we might feel. Yeah. Like how, how wonderful that might feel. So, you know, it gives a sense of like how our child might feel when they experience it or how our own internal parts might feel when we offer that. Meeting our children where they are can sound like, I can see that you fell down and that you're crying, not just stop crying and get up again. And that didn't hurt so much. You got really upset and you yelled at your brother instead of saying, stop yelling. Or I can see that you're upset. Is it okay that I sit here next to you instead of stop crying and tell me what happened? When we're not met, we shut down. There's shame there. When we're not seen, we feel wrong and we feel alone. We feel separated. Separated being the opposite of feeling loved and connected. And when we're seen, we feel like I can be me I can, and I can still be loved. And this is really the core thing. I think I've said that a lot of times now. But it's worth repeating. Oh, it's like we're sharing a toy. It's not give the toy back, stop being difficult. It's like, oh yeah, that looks such a fun toy. I can see you really want to play with it. And you're frustrated that he wants it too. Yeah, so if we look at the secondary thing, if we look at moral, it's where we want them to go, what we want to happen, right? 
so it's who can you be with me right now and we're gonna like i already said we're gonna focus more on how to set boundaries from inside of ourselves from a inner self that place that's not defining our children we're going to talk about that in the next episode but we're going to just get a little bit into it here with some examples we already talked about this too that lots of parents are worried that the children will not fit into society and the rules and how you're supposed to be so we focus a lot on teaching them how they can and cannot behave but the truth is that at least for most parents that we already said this so many times our children already knows that we don't want them to hit that we don't want them to yell that we don't want this whatever this extreme behavior is they already know that so when they're still doing it they're doing the best they can this is the best they can do at that moment so scolding that make them feel wrong about this telling them this is not who i want you to be is not necessary and it's shutting them down and one thing that i think people already know this but it can be hard to do is that the best way of teaching our children how to behave is by the way we behave right so if I'm swearing while I'm telling my child not to swear, that's not helpful. If I'm yelling that they shouldn't yell, that's not helpful. Very often we bite with our words. We can hit with our words with the way we talk. And very often if you have a child that's biting, it's because one of the parents is doing that in the way they talk to the child. Yeah. Right? Or, or the way the parents talk to each other. That's right. This is a really hard one. As you said it, like the biggest thing you can do is model what you want to see. Mm. And look to ourselves first. Yeah. And it's so important. I mean, we already talked about that, I think, especially in the first episode, and we're going to talk about it more, is when we do look to ourselves, it's not doing that to see what's wrong with me. It's not to do that in a shaming way. It's to do that just like with our children in an understanding way, because we always make sense. That's really, really important. Yeah. And having compassion, because we were not, most of us were not brought up in this paradigm. We were brought up in the paradigm of punishment and judgment. So... Yes, when we use punishment to shape behavior, we're punishing through fear and separation, not through a loving, secure attachment. And it's very normal that we do fall back on that. Like it's on our, we say on our backbone in Denmark. I don't know if that's it. Yeah, because we fall back to it. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's what we learned. So the words that I swore would never say that my mom always say, they just come out of my mouth, right? If I'm very reactive, even though I wanted to do the opposite, right? Mm, mm. yeah so scolding i think we're going we should do an episode about this too because scolding is not just scolding it's like punishing it's ignoring it's shaming it's blaming it's creating consequences like when we say consequences it's it's not actually natural consequences it's punishment for yeah, something it's like artificial consequences yeah 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 so really, understand, like we should put that into some more words in another episode because that's really important. And threat of separation or actually separation, that's all part of when I say scolding here. So knowing that children always do the best that they can and that punishing somebody for doing the best they can does not make sense. No matter the behavior, no matter the symptom, no matter the feeling, they're doing the best they can. You cannot punish somebody for doing the best they can. That's just ridiculous. Mm. Sometimes we want to focus on the secondary. We want to focus on moral as well. But we want to do so after focusing on the primary, after meeting the children where they are. And we want to set our boundaries without shaming, without defining, without scolding our children. So here's a couple of examples. So for instance, I see that you got really angry with me. Is that right? That's the primary. Have a long pause. Then the secondary. So I see that you got really angry with me. Is that right? 
pause. And I don't want you to hit me. Oh, you really hurt yourself when you fell down. Pause. Here, let me help you up again. I can see you sitting here alone, and it seems like you don't want to talk to anybody. Pause. And I'm going to come check on you once in a while and see if you're ready to talk. I know that you're upset and that you don't want to go to school today. Is that right? Pause. And I want you to come. Let's go find some clothes. So it's name the primary, pause, and then speak to the secondary behavior. Yeah. Sometimes we don't have to do that. But if we feel like we have to do it, focus on meeting the child where they are first. Focus on existence first. And moral and shaping and the things we want. Setting our boundaries can sometimes be important, especially if we feel our boundaries overstepped in a way. Yeah. That's secondary. It's amazing. Once you've done it once, it's way easy to do it again. Yeah. And really practice the times where it is easy. Don't wait until you're in a horrible situation in the supermarket. Yes. So, so maybe our invitation here is, if you're listening to this, is maybe think of an example for yourself, play it through. How could you practice this? What would you say? And see if you can actually do it in reality today, perhaps or this week. Yeah, maybe just everybody just take a moment because we're not doing a meditation today and just focus inwards and see, where could I do this? Where would this be easy? How can I start practicing this with my children or with my partner or even with myself? How can I meet myself where I am? Not having to change it, not having to fix it. Just being there. That's all we got for today. Mm, just with how much we could change the world if all parents were able to do this and we were able to do it with our partners, how much more love we'd bring and how much more love we'd feel in our own lives. Exactly. You know, this is what Bruce Perry says, right? He has this, I don't know if I already gave this example another time with the cookies. Did I say that before? I, I don't think so. I think so. He had this, I don't know, it's probably a made up example, but he said that his grandmother was making these really, really good cookies and she never gave anybody the recipe. So when she died, nobody was able to recreate the cookies. They tried in many ways, but they couldn't do it. So it died with her. So what we don't pass on, any kind of thing that's not good, uh, that wasn't good for us. So if we don't pass it on, not just dying with it, but also actually working on ourselves, healing, healing what happened to us. We don't pass it on to our children. We're changing the world. This is trauma that keeps being passed on in our societies, in our families, in our attachment relationships. Yeah. This is how we can change the world. Yeah, and how we could change, like make our relationship with anger so much more healthy. You know, if we stop just focusing on how it made me feel or whatever and actually just be curious about recognize someone's anger or frustration and allow that to be, to see it, to accept it, yeah. rather than to shame it. Yeah, because anger is so important, you know. Yeah. There's not good and bad feelings in this way. Anger is a boundary, and we need a boundary to survive, to be able mm. to be ourselves. Yeah, right. yeah. It's like when I used to work in peace building, and we used to say all the time, there's nothing wrong with conflict. Violent conflict is, there's yeah. a violent conflict, but conflict's really healthy and necessary for relationships and societies, societies to progress. Yeah. Yeah, so anger's really necessary. Yeah. So this one, just to recap, this point three was meet children where they are, not where we want them to be. And that means mm -hmm. trying to choose this attitude to existence, like this focus on connection and attachment 
rather than morality judging every move they make about whether it needs to be applauded or reprimanded. If you have any thoughts or questions, you're welcome to write us and contact us on the podcast or on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or all the places you can find us on social media. Okay. Thanks, Anna. Yeah.